millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Fearful, the podcast that takes you on a thrilling journey through the world of mysteries, paranormal phenomena, and all things terrifying. We will explore eerie tales of haunted places, unsolved crime, inexplicable events, and supernatural encounters. So embrace the fear and unravel the mysteries that lie beyond. My name is Jacko, and this is Fearful. To a parent, their child is one of the most precious treasures in their life. They nurture and watch them grow, all to take on the world, all on their own. But, if one has a treasure they hold so dear, it makes it all that much more difficult when it is lost. With our story today, we talk about a mother and a father who lost their child to find it had been abducted by someone else. Someone who claimed that child was actually their own. Two families sharing the same treasure, yet... They can only belong to one. This is the tale that will not only terrify any parent out there, but the real twist in this story is much more terrifying when it finally unravels after decades of time passing. This is the strange and mysterious tale of Bobby Dunbar. In the sultry summer of 1912, when the air hung heavy with anticipation, the Dunbar family embarked on what they assumed would only be a delightful fishing escapade at the serene Swayze Lake nestled near Opelousas, Louisiana. Percy and Leslie Dunbar accompanied their eldest son, the endearing Robert Clarence Dunbar, affectionately known as Bobby. They set out on a seemingly ordinary day. Little did they fathom that this outing would etch a haunting tale on their family's history. As the sun climbed the sky, casting shimmering reflections upon the placid waters, tragedy struck. At the cusp of lunchtime, Bobby vanished into thin air, leaving behind a void that echoed with the anguished cries of his parents. 
in the heart of the wilderness amidst the rustle of leaves and the distant chirping of birds. Their precious boy was nowhere to be found. The frantic search and agonizing quest through the wilderness yielded nothing. Bobby seemingly melted into the verdant landscape leaving behind a very chilling mystery. Driven by desperation and unyielding parental love, Percy and Lessie initiated a nationwide manhunt for their son. Their plea resonated across the country, echoing in the hearts of strangers who emphasized with their unimaginable pain. A reward of $6,000, a pricely sum in those days, was promised for Bobby's safe return with no questions asked. Postcards bearing Bobby's face and meticulous description of his physical features were sent far and wide, a desperate attempt to bridge the distance between their arms and their now missing child. They bore the words that read, large round blue eyes, hair light but turning dark complexion, very fair with rosy cheeks, well-developed stout but not very fat, big toe on left foot badly scarred from burn when a baby. These words encapsulated the essence of their beloved boy that went missing that very fateful day. Time soon ticked away, and eight months had passed by. The seasons changed, but the Dunbar's anguish remained steadfast. In the midst of this heart-wrenching uncertainty, a glimpse of hope finally broke through. Authorities soon got word that a young boy fitting Bobby's description had been discovered safe and sound in the neighboring state of Mississippi. The news traveled like wildfire, igniting a spark of optimism in Percy and Lessie's heart. Against all odds, it seemed Bobby was found safe. But Bobby was found safe, though he was found in the company of a man by the name of William Cantwell Walters, a man who was a laborer with a specialized skill in piano and organ tuning and repairing. William, with a demeanor that mixed with defiance and desperation, explained to the authorities that the child he had been traveling with was not the child named Bobby, but instead, a boy by the name of Charles Bruce Anderson. This boy, he claimed, was the illegitimate son of his brother and Julia Anderson, a maid who had long served his family. According to William, Julia had entrusted him with the care of her child for a brief period while she visited her relatives in Mississippi. Despite his fervorous proclamations of innocence, the law seemed to see right through his apparent charade and showed no leniency. 
He was swiftly arrested on charges of kidnapping, a grave offense carrying the scepter of capital punishment in Louisiana. The wheels of justice turned, bringing William to Opelousas to stand trial. Meanwhile, the authorities wasted no time notifying the Dunbars, who, their hearts a turbulent mix of hope and trepidation, embarked on a journey to Mississippi to confirm the identity of the boy in question. For eight excruciating months, Percy and Lassie Dunbar had lived in the shadows of uncertainty, their lives suspended in a web of despair. As they set foot in Mississippi, the air cracked with anticipation. The moment of truth had arrived. Bobby was finally back within their reach. The reunion, when it happened, was a crescendo of emotions. Relief, joy, and an overwhelming surge of parental love after the torment of countless nights and endless days of worrying for Bobby and if he would be returned finally made it to the moment that they yearned for. However, this is where some discrepancies in the story begin to take place. Several press accounts paint a vivid picture of the Dunbar's initial hesitation upon being presented with the boy who was purported to be Bobby. Their eyes scan the child before them. Lessie, in a moment that hung heavy with anticipation, uttered the words that resonated with the depths of her uncertainty, and I quote, I don't know. I'm not sure. Other accounts even tell of the boy who was supposed to be their son, Bobby, suddenly bursting into tears, and not the ones of happiness or joy, but instead of fear and confusion. He seemed in that moment not just a stranger, but a child caught with unfamiliar faces surrounding him. Later, when this boy encountered his supposed younger brother, Alonzo Dunbar, the scene was strangely devoid of the expected familiar warmth of siblings. Press accounts noted a peculiar absence of their reaction between the two children upon seeing each other. It was as though they were two pieces of a puzzle that no longer fit together seamlessly. Their connection strained by the weight of uncertainty, or perhaps just the passage of time. In these moments of the Dunbars, they stood at a crossroads of emotions. Here they were presented with a child that seemed to be Bobby in every way. His hair, face, and eyes all seemed to be their missing son. But for some reason, there almost seemed to be a doubt in the air. Perhaps it was simply the time apart that gave way to uncertainty, and perhaps even some Stockholm Syndrome at play. The following day dawned, and Lessie was determined to find solace in the unfamiliar contours of her son's body. 
and took it upon herself to bathe the boy. As her gentle hands traced the moles and the scars that marked Bobby's skin, a glimmer of recognition flickered in her eyes. It was a moment suspended in time, a moment of truth and revelation. Yet, in the amidst this seemingly undeniable identification, there was a particular oversight. The absence of the burn, the scar on the boy's foot, a detail that was etched in Lessie's memory. In a twist of conviction and maternal certainty, Lessie chose to overlook this inconsistency. She had the opportunity to see the moles, scars, and markings on the boy's skin as she bathed him. They were so familiar to her. This must be Bobby, and in her eyes, it was the undeniable proof she was looking for of her son's identity. On April 25th, 1913, the Dunbars now embraced the boy as their own son Bobby once more. They returned home, the air electric with anticipation. There were jubilant atmospheres that awaited them on their arrival. Appaloosas came alive in a celebration of Bobby's return. A parade wound its way through the town, a vibrant joy displayed and relief with brass bands filling the air with triumphant melodies. And the courthouse square held a grand party that unfolded. Well-wishers, their face lit with happiness, gathered to share the Dunbar's moment of triumph. The town, once shrouded in somber veil of uncertainty, was now glowing with a radiance of miraculous reunion. Little did they know this apparent resolution with this child would not be the end. Just as the Dunbars had now become certain this was their son, so would someone else. Julia Anderson made her way on May 1st to Louisiana to attest to the innocence of William Cantwell Walters and corroborate his version of the events. Like the Dunbars before, Julia was faced with the daunting task of identifying the child at the center of the storm as her own son, Charles. Yet, just as before, uncertainty hung in the air like an unshakable fog. The boy, now surrounded by a spacious house with toys and even a pony at play, seemed oddly distant and detached from the woman who purportedly bore him. Julia was granted the opportunity to conduct the very same scrutiny Lessie Dunbar had undertaken earlier. As she meticulously undressed the child and studied his features, a glimmer of certainty flickered in her eyes. She proclaimed it was indeed Charles, her son. However, rumors had already begun to spread like wildfire that Julia had failed to recognize the boy on her first encounter, rendering her claim suspect in the eyes of the public. To compound her predicament, the newspaper with their ink-stained tongues 
began to question her moral character. In the conservative time of the early 20th century, being an unmarried mother was very much so a societal taboo, a stain that cast a shadow upon one's reputation. Julia Anderson found herself not only battling for the recognition of her son, but also against the damning judgment of society. Through several attempts to reclaim the boy as her own, Julie eventually was forced to give up as the courts ruled in favor of Lessie and Percy Dunbar. William Walters, accused of kidnapping Bobby, faced a life sentence that was spared by the gallows. After two years in prison, a new trial was granted, leading to his release in 1915. But despite his freedom, he lived in disgrace, steadfastly professing his innocence until his death on April 7, 1945, succumbing to blood poisoning. Following the court's resolution, little is documented about Bobby's life. It is known that he grew into adulthood, marrying a woman named Marjorie Byers, with whom he had four children. Despite the mystery of his early years, he carved out a comfortable life for himself and for his family. The details of his journey veiled in obscurity, however, the result of the trial would linger through the Dunbar's generations. Fueled by doubt surrounding her ancestry, Margaret Dunbar Cutright, Bobby's granddaughter, embarked on a rigorous four-year investigation to unravel the mysteries of her origin. Teaming up with Linda Tavers, one of Julia Anderson's seven children, they uncovered an anonymous letter addressed to the courthouse that was signed by Quote, the Christian woman. This letter defending William and Julia contained information that intensified their resolve to uncover the truth about the events of 1913. The letter goes as follows. Dear Sir, in review of human justice to Julia Anderson and mothers, I am prompted to write to you. I sincerely believe the Dunbars have Bruce Anderson and not their boy. If this is their child, why are they afraid for anyone to see or interview him privately? I would see nothing to fear, and this seems strange. The Dunbars claim that if this had been their own child and he had been gone eight months, do you think his future would be so changed that they would not know him only by moles and scars? This is a farce. If the Dunbars do not know their child, who has only been gone eight months by his features, why they don't know him at all? Margaret became convinced that the child found in Mississippi might indeed be Bruce Anderson and not Bobby Dunbar after all. 
Driven by this suspicion, she took a decisive step. In 2003, Margaret requested a DNA sample from her father, Bob Dunbar Jr., which was sent to a laboratory. This sample was compared against another DNA sample provided by the son of Bobby Dunbar's brother, Alonzo. The test, focusing on the Y chromosome passed from father to son, almost unchanged, was poised to reveal a vital truth. Were these two men truly related? Were they truly first-degree cousins? Or were they not? The results when it arrived was unequivocal. There was no match. The strands of DNA, those intricate threads of ancestry, spoke volumes, unraveling the lingering mysteries of the past and confirming the long-suspected truth. In the absence of a genetic connection, the tangled web of the Dunbar mystery had found a stark resolution. The young boy all those years ago was in fact not Bobby Dunbar. It is most likely that the boy found in Mississippi was in fact Charles Anderson, Julia Anderson's son. DNA testing was attempted to confirm this theory, but the results proved inconclusive. The true identity of the boy may forever remain a mystery. Though in a moment of introspection, Bob Dunbar Jr., the son of the man known as Bobby Dunbar, recalls a conversation from 1954. With a heart heavy of curiosity, he asked his father a question that had likely plagued his own thoughts. How did he know he was truly Bobby and not in fact someone else? His father, with a gaze that held the weight of decades, responded with a very cryptic wisdom. Quote, I know who I am, and I know who you are, and nothing else makes a difference. In those words, there existed a profound acceptance of identity transcending the complexities of the past and affirming the enduring strength of family bonds. While it is refreshing to hear the resolution and acceptance of their own identity, it still does not answer the question on what happened to the real Bobby Dunbar all those years ago in 1912. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.